My subject this morning is spiritual riches. I don't know about you, how long you've been a Christian, but I do can only I can only relate the things that I have gone through when I became a Christian at the age of 23 years old, just got discharged from the Marine Corps, all confused, all mixed up. And so when I found Christ, when I went forward, gave my life to Christ, I had a, a difficult time understanding what, what this religion is all about. Um, I wondered if I had enough faith. I don't know if you've ever thought it, do I have enough faith or how do I get more faith? Or, and I know that the Bible says that we've been given all a measure of faith. A measure, according to the New Testament, the Jewish reckoning of a measure is a bushel basket full. So everyone has been given a bushel basket full of faith. And it says in the Bible that it only takes one little mustard seed to have faith enough to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. All of us have an abundance of faith. Some of us have just failed to exercise it. Now, Christians sometimes are obsessed with how much faith do I have. It's not a question of how much faith do you have. It's really the object of your faith. And when you discover what is your object of your faith, then you'll discover the abundant life in Christ. Otherwise, <clears throat> you'll be pleading and begging for God to do something in your life that he already has. So you're asking him to do something that he's already done. The word of God is still a measuring stick that we use to examine things, examine doctrine. And so I'm gonna, we're going to look at a couple of texts here in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. So when you hear something from the Bible and it's good, hold fast to it. And that's what the Bible is trying to tell us. And then the Bible says this. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, notice it says guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasures which have been entrusted to you. So this morning, we want to find out what are those treasures that have been entrusted to you. What Paul is simply saying is that your progress as a Christian is to cultivate your love for the truth, what is truth, and let it rule in your thinking. In the first four chapters of Romans, as we found out in prayer meeting, but that Paul speaks about faith, we are justified by faith, and if we're justified by faith, the Bible tells us that our sins have been forgiven, 
That's all been taken care of. And if you believe that, then the Bible says that you will have the peace of God. You'll have a certain peace that comes from God. As you continue in Romans, we find out the word reckoning comes. And it seems to replace faith and belief as Paul is describing things. Now, faith is the acceptance of God's truth. If you see truth in the scripture, you put your faith, you believe it, not because you experienced it, but because God said it. And that's where you exercise your faith. But reckoning is a term that is used, according to the Greek, accounting or bookkeeping. So God commands that you reckon, reckon ye, the Bible says. Write it down. Put it up here in your mind. Think about what that means. And so in Romans 6, 11, the Bible says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what you need to write it down, get it firmly fixed in your mind, that when you said yes to Christ, the Bible says, even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. God wants you to give your consent to the crucifixion of the old man. The Bible wants you to reckon, account of, that your old nature, when you said yes to Christ, was crucified. That's why the Bible says you are dead to sin. It doesn't mean that you won't sin. It means that you are dead to sin. Now, why is this so important that you believe that you are dead to sin? Because many Christians have been led to believe that God is somehow doing something in your lives to break you. That's often used in the Christian churches today, that God is causing things or allowing things to break you or to get you to surrender fully. Maybe you've only surrendered 40% and and God is causing things to happen to you that you're just going to come down to it and you just say, I can't take it anymore, Lord. It's all yours. And there are people who believe that God is actually doing something to you so that you will surrender or that you will die daily. Let me assure you this morning that that is not true. There is no truth in that. God is not asking you to die daily, to put off yourself. God is not asking you to surrender completely. What God is asking you to do is to count yourself dead and alive to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all God is asking you to do is to count yourself alive to Christ. In other words, You're assuring God that you are born again, that you love him, 
And so you count yourself dead to sin, but you are alive to Jesus Christ. Now, if you have been taught that God wants you to die daily, or die to self, or surrender completely, then you are going to be set free this morning. Because it's not true. It's just not true. That has caused, I feel, as much damage in the Christian church as any other thing that I know of. To get you to believe that you are not okay. That there's something wrong with you. Something internally wrong with you. And what you need to do is surrender everything to Christ. What you need to do is die daily. Now, if you have said yes to Christ, you became a new creation, the Bible says. The moment that you said, now you may not have understood it when you said it. You may have been 10 years old. You may have, you may have been a, a teenager. And when you heard it, you may not have understood it. When you ask Christ to come into your life, you may not have you may not have understood exactly what had happened to you. The moment that you asked Christ into your life and you were sincere about it, something changed. The Bible says that you are a new creation. The Bible says you were given a new heart. The Bible says you were given a new human spirit. I want you to think about that for a moment. The Bible says that you were given a new human spirit. Your human spirit before you said yes to Christ was in Adam. And now you are in Christ when you said, Lord, come into my life. So you received all of this stuff. And the Bible wants you to believe it. The Bible wants you to reckon it so. And the Bible is asking you to make it, put it up here. It's down here, but the Bible says you can put it up here now. And when you put it up here, you're going to find a sense of freedom that will come. This theology of dying daily is taken out of context in the Word of God. So let's go to where it says it. And the Bible says here, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So if you're looking for a scripture that you are to die daily, um, this is one that it actually says, I die daily. But that's not what it's talking about. It's not telling you that you need to die daily. So let's look at what Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, also wrote Romans 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. When was it crucified with him? The moment that you said, yes, I want the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life. The old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. 
Now, all through the years, it's possible that you had entertained in your mind that you were still a slave of sin. And why? It's because of the thoughts that went through this mind of yours. And you've heard me say that when all that stuff goes through your head, it took me a while to get it to, you just go 12 inches down and realize what took place at your core. Because that's the important part. What took place here? You received a new heart, a new human spirit, and the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every single one of you that said yes to Christ, that's what took place in you. Again, you may not have understood it at the time, but that's exactly what happened. So Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Was crucified. Past tense. Do you see it? Well, let's look at what the next verse says in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15.32. Now Paul is saying, I die daily. And then he says, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus... We know that when he went to Ephesus that he was attacked by wild dogs. So he says from the, with the wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So Paul is simply saying a death has already taken place. You died when you said yes to Christ. You don't die daily. You only die once. Christ only died once. Once for all. He died for all of us. Believers have already died. They've already died. It has nothing to do with needing to die spiritually. Absolutely nothing. This text has been taken out of context, and the damage it has done is unbelievable. It has caused people to feel that they are not right with God, that God is not happy with them, that God is not pleased with them, and that because of what they are doing, what they are thinking, that God is just not satisfied with them. And that is not true. Paul is talking here about physical dangers that he encountered on the road as a traveling evangelist. That's what all he's talking about here. And he had these things daily. And he says that I'm in, I, I am in the, a situation where I don't know if I'm going to live from one day to the other. And he says, so I die daily. There's absolutely nothing to do with dying spiritually. It has nothing to do with the old self or the needing to die. His old self was already dead, buried, and gone. It is important for us to learn what is truth. Your thinking, if your old man was crucified with him, will set you free. And free indeed you'll be. In Galatians 2.20, it says this. I have been crucified with Christ. When were you crucified with Christ? 
When was Paul crucified with Christ? The moment that he said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This dying daily theology, you need to question, well, who dies? Who dies? We find out in Romans 8, 5, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you are living according to the flesh, that's where your mind is, is on the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And then the Bible says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. So it's very plain who's to die. It doesn't mean that the Christian should die. It is the unbeliever who is living according to the flesh. It says there, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the question is, as Paul is writing this, who are the we here in these, in these scriptures? Who are the we? Because it says, it says here that you won't be living by the flesh if you are a born-again Christian. Is there anyone here living according to the flesh? No. This would be the last place in the world that you'd want to be if you were living according to the flesh. You are living according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Now, it's the unbeliever that needs to die to Christ. Anyone who is living according to the flesh says, you must die. If you're going to have eternal life, you must die. It has nothing to do with a born-again Christian dying. He's already dead. He's dead to sin. And he's alive to Christ. Now, I know that there are some of you who will tell that maybe some of you have been told that you must come to the end of yourself. I remember years ago, I used that phrase myself. You must come to the end of yourself. Now, some say that you must uh, lay aside the old self and put on the new self. So it's sort of your responsibility to do something so that God will be pleased with you and he'll be able to live his life through you. What Paul is saying, that both of these events have already taken place. And when did they take a place? When you said yes. When you asked Christ to come into your life. It's at salvation that all of these things have taken place. There's a big difference. If we believe that someday when we finally give it all to Jesus, 
And then maybe life is going to work then if I give it 100%. Maybe I've only given 40%. Maybe if I give 80%, I'll get closer. And then maybe if I give 100%, then everything in life will work out just fine. There's a big difference believing that or believing that as a Christian, as a born-again Christian, we live in a permanently cleansed state with absolutely no strings attached. Now, do you believe that? If you do, it's true. We live in a permanently cleansed state. We are okay. God has proclaimed us to be okay. He's everything that he wants us to be. Now, we know that there's a process. And so in, in, John, in 1 John 4, 17, the Bible says this. By this, love, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me repeat the last part of that. Because as he is so also are we in this world. Can you see it? It's a beautiful union with Christ. Why is it that it's so hard to believe that we are a new self? Well, I found in my own case that it was because of all this garbage that was going through up here. It wasn't down here. It was up here. All this stuff. All this nasty stuff was going through my head up here, and I thought that there was something wrong with me until I discovered that God gave me a new human spirit, a new heart, and it came here. And he filled me with his Holy Spirit. Now, I can remember for several years, I was praying and asking God to fill me with his spirit. Little did I know and did and understood, he already did it. I was asking him for something he already did. And that's what's a problem in the Christian community today. We don't realize what we have, that we have everything right now, everything for godliness, everything for life right now within us. Now, in Romans 6, 5, the Bible says this. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the Bible says that we have, we have a union with him. The Bible says we are united with him. Now, we don't need to deny ourselves. Because our old self is gone. We now live with our new self. So we don't have to go about doing that. We are learning. We are growing. God, God is doing something within us. He's renewing our minds. And he's doing that almost on a daily basis. He's renewing us. There are still times that we choose to entertain our fleshly ways. 
Listen, the world comes at us. And when it does, sometimes it knocks us down. And sometimes we begin to entertain certain fleshly... It's the way we used to live. And so we go back to the way we used to live. That's why we have doubts and all this other stuff. And sometimes it hit us hard. So there are times that we choose that. But we know at our deepest core, that is not us. That is not us. That is the old life that we lived. It's not us here. So, it is true that these things have been broken. The old fleshly ways are broken. There's no question about that. But they are not completely gone. When we come to the place when we offer ourselves to God, we are alive to him. These things will not be gone in our lifetime. Not until Jesus Christ comes back and gives us a new body that will match that already perfect heart that you have. And every one of you have it. Your heart is perfect at its core. Our problem is what goes through up here. And you've heard me say it before, we just need to drop down 12 inches and rely on what's going on in here. Now, don't fall into the lie that you are becoming holy progressively. You don't want to go there. The moment that you go there, you'll start to think, what can I do to cleanse myself, prove to God that I love him and everything else? Maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's witnessing. Maybe it's quiet time. Maybe it's spending long, long hours in prayer. Maybe that will do it. Listen, all these things are good. They're wonderful. But let me tell you the danger in them sometimes. You may come to the place where you will equate who you are, in other words, your identity in Christ, with your performance, what you're doing. And the moment that you do that, the devil's trapped you. Can't, he can't hold you, but sometimes he can trick us into thinking that it's our performance that God is looking at. And it's not that. It's God's performance that, is, that stabilizes us. Now, the Bible says that you are perfectly holy. You're set apart. You are as holy right now, this morning, that you will ever be. You are completely holy. Now, I'm not asking you to testify and say, oh, yes, I feel holy. No. That's not the way it works. You don't, you don't feel holy, but you are. God says you are. So when are we going to believe it? When are we going to start believing what God says is true? We have a tendency to only look at our performance to see 
how that fits with what God says. I realize that there are many Christians that are struggling and had bad things happen to them. I certainly had my share. Paul certainly had his share. And I think all of you have had your share. Why do bad things happen to good people? Oftentimes, they tie in what happens to them as some sort of, somehow God is causing, causing things to happen. Or most Christians will say, well, if he's not causing it, he's allowing it. Really? Is that what's really happening? Many people wonder, when things go bad, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing that's wrong? What, is God upset with me? What is God trying to tell me? Well, here's another scripture that is used that we have to die. And that's found in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. But we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, preplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And then the Bible says, so death works in us, but life in you. Now, <clears throat> what, is Bar, what is Paul trying to say here? Who, who is the we in, in these verses? I mean, is it, is it us too? Who is the we? Well, it's very obvious that it is Paul and his bondservants. It's not the Corinthians. It's not you. It's Paul and the bondservants. We are afflicted. Well, who is afflicted? Paul and his bondservants. It's not the Corinthians. It's not you and it's not me. Oh, yes. If we go down through the list, we can look at the, that list and say, to, say with Paul, you know, I, I understand it. I've been afflicted. I know what that's like. I've been perplexed. I've been struck down. I know. I've had things happen. But it says, he's, but Paul says to the Corinthians, but life in you. Paul is saying to us here at Grace Bible Fellowship, but life is you. Life is given to you. So, we are living proof of what Bible says is true. Make no mistake, planet Earth is coming at us. And sometimes it comes at us hard. But I can tell you from Scripture, it is not God that's causing it. It's not God that's causing all the turmoil and and, and all these things. God is not trying to teach you a lesson. He's not taking you through the fire 
So that he can, you can prove or that you can come to the place that you will surrender your life to him. He's not doing that to the Christian. The born again Christian, no, never. God is not doing those things to you. He is not breaking you. Do you actually think in your mind, just think this thing through. Many Christians out here, when stuff happens, they say, well, it's God teaching me a lesson. Or it's, it's God uh, making me come to the end of myself, and then I'll just give it all to Christ. That is not true. I know that many people embrace that. But I have yet to find it in the Bible. It's just not there. God is our counselor. The Bible says he's our comforter. So would God cause something to happen to you and then turn around and come to you? Oh, I'm sorry that it happened to you. No, that is not God. We have a wrong view of God. We read how wonderful God is, and yet we believe that he's actually causing us to go through trials and tribulations. Now, trials and tribulations will come because the world is coming at us. Planet Earth stinks. All the stuff that is happening today is craziness. It's not good, and it stinks. God is our counselor. He's our comforter doesn't cause things to happen to us and then come around the back door, put his arm around us and try to comfort us. That's not God. We have the wrong image of God. Paul was on God's team. Listen, Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He persecuted Christians. But when God, convert, when, when, when God came into his life, when he was converted, his only thing he wanted to do was serve God. He had a new heart. He had a new human spirit. And that's what motivated him. God and Paul were on the same team. You and I are on the same team with God. God is not opposing us. We're on the same team. We're on the same team as God is. We're not on opposite sides. We're on his team. You are alive to God, the Bible says. And you have a choice. And every one of us can wake up some morning and say to, to, say to ourselves, you know, I'm going to offer myself to sin. I'm sick and tired of everything being sick and tired. And I'm just going to offer myself to sin. But you've already found out that that doesn't work very well. We died to the power of sin. That's what we died to. We are no longer slaves to sin. Our wants have changed forever. Forever, you will never be the same. You can try it. Many have tried it. But once you have Christ living in you, you'll never be the same, ever. 
Make no mistake about it, we still sin. But we don't really enjoy it any longer. It seems like, with me anyway, if I lean on my flesh and I do something stupid, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Am I that stupid? Because it's not me. It's not me doing it. It's, it's giving in to the flesh. It's, it's listening to the flesh. And then I do something stupid and I say to myself, when will you ever learn? When will you ever learn? What's wrong with you anyway? And then I have the reassurance that there's nothing wrong with me. I just listen to my flesh. And that's why the Bible gives us the assurance. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.19. That even if you sin, even if you fall and fail to the flesh, he will not hold our sins against us. What an awesome God. He knows. He knows the whole creation process. He's the one that started it. And he knows that, that sometimes we're going to listen to the flesh. And it's going to be that way until Jesus Christ comes back and gives us a new body that matches that new spirit that he gave us. I'll tell you, God is an amazing God. He did it all for us. He did it all. Listen to what James 1.23 says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. Come on, does that describe us or, or what? I mean, we forget Sometimes we forget. We listen to that junk that's going through our head, and sometimes we simply forget who we are. That's why knowing your identity in Christ is so important. Because every one of us can say, without any question, without any doubt, I know that I'm a child of God. How do I know? Because I, I ask God to come into my life. And He says, If you ask, I'll come. And so we know that we are a child of God. James is telling us that the only way to be a doer is to see who we really are at our core. Not what's going on up here, but what's going on here. So, God made us a perfect fit for Jesus. Perfect fit. This is how we believe we are the only ones on planet Earth who can be ourselves and express Christ living in us. We are the only ones. The Christian is the only one on planet Earth who can do that. Who can wake up every day, look at ourselves in the mirror, and we are who we are. We can be ourselves. We don't have to pretend to be anybody. We don't have to try to impress anybody. We are who we are. And we can express Christ living in us. The way we treat people. I'll tell you, that is probably the greatest, biggest testimony 
that we can ever give is allowing Christ to live in us and through us. So what have we learned this morning? Well, we learned that God is not breaking us. He's not trying to put us into a corner where we have no place to go. But to, to him, God is not asking us to surrender or to die daily. We've already died. We've already said yes to Christ. We've learned that we have a wonderful, beautiful union with Christ. We are united with him. We are fused to him. I mean, what an awesome God he is. And we learn that we are on God's team. God is for us. He's in our corner. We are for God. We're on the same team. We're not on opposing teams. We know that God is our counselor. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He doesn't cause things to happen to us and then come around and, and, and then comfort us. No. This world is a nasty world. And he, this world comes at us in, in, in a million different ways. And we know that. But we know the answer too. So what are these treasures that have been entrusted to us? It's Christ living in you. It is knowing that grace is our answer and grace is the cure for sin. We have everything that we need for this life and godliness, says First Peter. We have everything that we need. Wow, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. We are free. Sin is not our master. Yes, sometimes we give in to the flesh and we sin. And God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I took care of that at the cross. All your sins are forgiven. You live in a state of forgiveness. The moment that you sin, it's forgiven. And it's forgotten. God isn't waiting for you to to come to him and ask him, beg him for forgiveness. He did that at the cross. You live in a forgiven state. We have everything we need. Everything. Praise God for that. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these, these spiritual riches that we have. We are thankful that you knocked on our door and we are especially thankful that we responded to you. We're thankful that we're on the same team as you. And I just praise you and thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do to give us that assurance that we need. That we are not only on the same team, but we are forgiven forever. Our sins are forgotten. And we have this oneness with you. We're thankful that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit to guide us and comfort us and to help us. Bless us now as we continue our fellowship together. And bless us and help us to have a, just a, a wonderful day. 
For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.